that's like the most epic this morning will be. If you've ever had to speak after like a Hollywood trailer, it sets the stage up here and it's like, hi, welcome. No fireworks or the earth shaking. Uh, but that, that movie after earth is where we're going to be kind of pulling some themes out today, like Ben mentioned, and, uh, it stars, uh, Will Smith and his son, Jaden Smith. So they're actually father, son in real life. And in the movie, they're father, son and well, as well. And it kind of follows this story of how the son, uh, is on a journey to accomplish this mission, which is going to save, uh, earth, but plus his father. And it's really like a coming of age story as well as, like the movie says, this idea of uh, after earth, what, what will happen? What will you do? And so what we've done is we've looked at kind of the movies of the summer and decided what, what is this movie saying about life, uh, specifically how life works or different attempts at what you experience in life. And as you dig into movies, really good movies uh, have themes that you can relate to. And I'm sure all of us can relate to fear, even though we've never flown through the, the air with like wings like that. Uh, we can relate to being faced with adversity, being faced with challenges, uh, being faced with close ones that are hurt, like Will Smith and trying to figure out what to do, how to move forward. And so we're going to kind of spend the rest of our time looking at this issue of fear and how to respond to it in a, in a way that actually helps us in life and doesn't derail us or kind of causes us to, to hit a wall. And so I encourage you to come back for the rest of the series. Each week, we're going to be looking at a different theme. And uh, the, the great news is when we planned this, we had no idea if the movie would be good or not good. So it's not we're not saying these are the greatest movies you've ever seen. We're saying these have good themes. You may hate the movie. But we're going to talk about the theme. So this movie, actually, uh, the critics destroyed it. Uh, but it actually does have some some good points in it that we're going to talk about today. And so I wanted to start off and just I know for my own life, the thought of being in a like a spaceship that crashes and trying to figure out, like, how am I going to continue my life? Like, I've never faced that. I don't think I'm going to face it. And you probably won't either. Uh, so I thought I would just talk about kind of a fear that that I faced uh, in my own life. Uh, in the movie, the fears that they were kind of dealing with was a fear of death. Both of them, Will Smith and Jane Smith, uh, this fear of death. Like what, what happens if we don't accomplish this mission before us to get this beacon? What, what, what happens if uh, and Will Smith's character is injured? What, what happens if he just can't overcome this injury? And so there's a fear of death. There's also fear of failure. Uh, Jaden had to kind of rise up to this challenge that he never thought he was going to experience or have to face. And so he was hit with, what do you do with this new challenge that's calling you forward? And we, all, we can relate to that. There's this idea of a fear of failure, like what happens if I screw this up and people are counting on me? And then there's also a fear that Will Smith has in the movie, which is related to, have I done enough to prepare my son for the challenges he faces? And I know for me, I deal with that with my own kids. Have I done what I need to do so they're, they're ready for life as it comes, as it hits them? And so those are some of the fears that they face in the movie. In my own life, I had, I've had quite a few fears. Uh, some I'll share and then some I won't because they reveal some babiness. But the fear I wanted to share was something that happened uh, about seven years ago. My uh, wife and I tried for a long time to have kids and we weren't successful. And then God blessed us uh, with a baby girl. And on August 22nd of this year, she'll be seven years old. But... Almost seven years ago, when she was born, 
uh, we hit this kind of moment after she was born where it didn't seem like her body was functioning right. She was uh, kind of projectiling, spitting up and just choking and all these things were happening. And it was at this point where we had waited for this life to be born and we were anticipating just this new journey of having this beautiful girl. And then the day after she was born, we're in the hospital. It seems like something's not right. She's not breathing right. She's not able to function right. And uh, you know, you're stressed in the hospital when like nurses and doctors start to freak out. That's the moment, you know, it's serious. When you see a nurse, like with a worried face, then you're like, if she's worried, I think I should be too. Cause she faces this stuff every day all day. And so the nurses were concerned and I started to get really nervous and afraid of what's going on. My wife did. And each of us have different responses to fear. And you're probably like this as well. My wife, and I asked if I could share this. My wife sometimes with fear turns into like mother bear as it relates to her kids. And you know, mother bear, because as problems come, it's like she goes into protect mode and like, don't you mess with my kid mode. And We were parents for a day, so I had never seen this before, but the mother bear came out and I was like, whoa, that's my wife. Like, wow, she, she's concerned and she's like, she's freaking out and I'm kind of freaking out, but she's mother bear and this is interesting. And I'm seeing this all unfold and the nurses uh, were concerned about the mother bear because she wasn't going to help the situation. And so they say, Hey dad, why don't you grab your daughter? And you know, they're, and my wife's like, okay, well I'll let him because He's my husband. I'll let him be in this equation. And and what I realized about my response to fear, I didn't know this until my my daughter hit my arms. I just started blubbering like a baby. It was just fascinating that, that my daughter, Katie, hit my arms and, just, <laughs> and I just started bawling. And here in the moment, it's like, take charge, figure out what to do. I just started bawling. That was my that was my response to fear. I, I had no idea what to do. I just thought, you know, what? I'm just going to cry it out. We're just going to cry it out together. And we, I've got my in-laws here. You know, I'm like leading their daughter and our family. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm bawling. I'm losing it. And I excuse myself from the hospital room. I hand, you know, our daughter some excuse me. And I'm walking and I'm just bawling. And you're in a hospital. It's like, where do you go? You can't go into somebody else's room. Awkward, you know, they're healing from something. You're like, hey, just, I just need a moment right here. But so I'm walking and there's nowhere to go. And I'm just exposed. I'm bawling. I'm a grown man who has a kid now. And I'm just losing it in the hospital. And I saw this water fountain that's like tucked into the wall with like space around it. And I just went into the space, faced the wall. <laughs> Could you imagine the really thirsty doctor on breaks? Like. You know, I'm going to go to the cafeteria. There's oh, dark. There's something bad going on right here. And, and that was me. And I, I've realized in certain times when fear comes, uh, you never know. It could turn blubbering, crying. It could turn like active. Let's take care of it. In that situation, I wasn't proud of my response, but it was very real. Everyone in the room experienced it. We had mother bear and then we had crying Goldilocks. OK, not proud of it, but that's what it was. And to each of us, as we experience fear, we, we have different, we have different responses. Uh, you can give into emotions. Guess which one I was. That was me. Uh, you can deny that like the fear is real. You can just act like if I don't think about it, if I don't acknowledge it, then it's not really there. Uh, you can also like create or fabricate a refuge of your own. Uh, that can happen by, by with busyness. Like you have some real fears, but if you decide if I pour myself into my work or I pour myself into my family and I just stay busy, then the fear isn't real. 
Or you could maybe turn to uh, substances, prescription drugs, drugs, alcohol. These can become refugees where we don't want to face our fears, so we turn to something that seems like can soothe it. It also can be with people. Uh, we, we care about people and we love people. And we figure if I just pour myself out in this person, the real fears I have kind of get lost in this relationship as I'm focused on here. And, or you can have a protective belief system. You can have something like these ideas in your head that kind of protect you. Like, well, everything's going to work out okay. Or it's going to be okay. Or it's not a big deal. The problem with the protective belief is if it's not true... And you approach your fear in something that's not true, then you're not actually really dealing with the fear at all. Uh, you're actually approaching fear with something that that's not actually helping you. You're not really seeing it uh, for what it is. And so what I wanted to talk about today is really despite the responses that we have. And you may know it if you think back in your head, if you take a moment, and say, when was the last time that I was really fearful? Whether it was about the future, whether it was about death, whether it was about failure, whether it was about not being good enough, not making a difference, not making my life count. Think back to your fears that you've had. What's the way that you respond? Do you go outward and you freak out with your friends and family and you want to talk it through? Do you go inward and shut down? Do you pour yourself into the things that just keep you busy? Think through that. What's your response? Because what you find, each of us have a response and if we really kind of peel back the onion of our fear response, we kind of see what does that strategy do? Does it help us? Does it hurt us? What does it do to the relationships that we're in? And so just take a moment. Think about the last fear that you had. Maybe people know it. Maybe people don't. What's your response inside of yourself? Just kind of wrestle with that. Take 10 seconds. If you have a fear of silence, this is going to be the longest 10 seconds of your life. Okay, that was 10. That wasn't that bad. So hopefully you, you have a little bit of a strategy of maybe what you do when you face fear. What I want to talk about today is that faith is the best response to fear. Faith, it's, it's the best response. Uh, because there's only really one person that we can turn to in the midst of fear that actually can help us. Because what you find is if you turn to substances like alcohol, prescription drugs, hard drugs, whatever it is, you find that actually pouring yourself into substances because of the fear that you have creates more problems like addiction. Okay. It doesn't help. Uh, pouring yourself into relationships with somebody to kind of help you overcome a fear doesn't help because that person can't handle your fear because they have fears of their own. They have enough of issues in their own life. They can't solve it. Uh, busyness. Uh, you're never too busy. Fears are always just plaguing you in the back of your mind. You never are busy enough. It still can cripple you. Uh, even your protective belief, like everything will work out. What if so far in your life it's not? What if your, your kind of belief system is like a statement of what you think is true? What if it's actually not true and it hasn't worked? And you find that there's holes in all these strategies. I want to turn to a promise in Isaiah 41 that, that for me personally has been the best response I've ever had as I've experienced faith and it's Isaiah 41 10 and says this fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You may be here today and you've had a lot of experience with church or you've had little experience with church. And what you find is there are churches in all over the world, 
multiple cities, multiple churches in each city, and each of them come to uh, every Sunday, midweek, they have groups, and they, they function like we're going to pour resources in, we're, this is going to take our time, but we, we want to do church together. What you find is the, the reason churches exist is because people have entered a relationship with the living God and they've experienced this promise. That there is somebody who wants to lead them in their life that will strengthen them and will lift them up. This is a description of the living God, the God of the Bible, who will not allow fears to overcome us. So the reason people wake up every day and decide they're going to do life, despite all the problems, people that have hope in a living God realize that the fears that they face will not overcome them. So this is the hope of the world. The reason we want to tell people about Jesus Christ and about the living God who can help is because of this reason. We all have fears and God wants to help us each and every one of us face them in a way that actually will allow us to experience life in the full way God wants us to. So this is the hope that we have. And in the movie, there was a mission that they had to accomplish And in this mission, all the fears came and the same is true in life. There's we're in point A where we may not be sure what point B is, but time is moving on. And no matter what our life is, it's kind of we're on a mission. You may not sure what your mission's about. You may not sure who your commanding officer is, but you're living your life. And at the end of your life, you've lived it and you look back and you can see, well, how have I faced it? And what you find is fear wants to cripple and derail us. But the living God wants to help us overcome it and actually experience life the way he's, he's desired it. And so I want to take a look at if faith is the best response, then, then, then why? Let's look at that a little bit. Why is faith the best response? A few things. First is a prayer of faith. This is calling out to God. A prayer of faith connects us to the only one who can help. Okay. The different strategies that we all have. I fully believe because of my experience with God himself that he is the really, he's really the only one that can help me. I've tried different strategies, giving into the emotions. It doesn't actually help turning to people. It doesn't actually help keeping myself super busy. It it doesn't actually help. It's actually turning to the God who's in control, who gives us the power. And that's what faith is. It's recognizing that I don't have power within myself. Because I know myself, I know my experiences, I know what's happened. It's this risk that you take saying, God, I don't have the power. But because the Bible says this, because of what people have said as they have experienced God as well, I trust that you do have the power that I need. That's what faith is. You don't have it. You take a risk and say, God, I I believe you do. Give it to me. Okay. Uh, Another thing that that makes faith the best response is that. Fear will not go away on its own. In the movie, they they have this this idea of fear is a choice, like danger is real. Fear is a choice. Actually, fear is real. You have a choice when fear comes, but fear itself is real. Fear is not one of those things that you can just decide early on in your life at 10 years old. Every day you said, I will not have fear. I will not have fear. I will not have fear. And you kind of snap your fingers and you say it. You maybe tap your right foot. You tap your left foot. I will not have fear. The problem is fear will find you. 
Dude, that sounds like a movie line. Fear will find you. But it's true. It's when it finds you, what do you do? And so it actually, it has a good part of this idea of you don't give in to fear. You have a choice. That's true. You don't have a choice if fear is going to come. You have a choice once it does come. Okay? You can't snap your fingers and do something special and fear will evade you. It will hit you. Uh, number three, uh, facing our fears is, is actually needed to experience life to the full. And this is where it kind of is counterintuitive. But it's actually through fear, through the anxieties that you have, through trouble, through the gaps in your thinking where you're just not sure how everything's going to work out. The Bible says it's, it's in these moments that you actually experience that God is real. Because where our logic runs out, where our strategies run out, and we have gaps, God comes and he takes over as we let him. And as we give him control of our life, as we make him the boss, the gaps begin to get filled in. And that's where you see, wow, I am not alone. God is with me. And life becomes so much sweeter and becomes so much fuller. God, God is our refuge in trouble like no one or nothing else can be. That's actually one of the times where you can really experience God. If you're not sure this God thing is real, next time you have a crippling fear or you're in this midst of troubled concern, take the risk to trust him. If you're not sure what that means, you can write on your connection card. I want to trust him with my fears and we'll help you. We'll help walk you through what that means. But that's where you find it. In the midst of this time where you're not sure how everything's going to work out, God loves us and he, he shows us the way. That's his promise. So I want to spend the rest of the message. If, if faith is the best response, I just kind of gave you some reasons why there's more. It's not a kind of a exhaustive list. But I want to kind of talk through the rest of the message. Well, how, how does that actually look? How do I face fears with faith? And I want to bring this down to make this practical. So this is something that as it comes in your life, you can decide to do this. Okay? Uh, one thing about fear Fear is, is like mold, okay? It, it kind of grows in the dark places of our life. What tends to happen as we face fear is if we pull back into the darkness, we pull back, back here, you're disconnected, you're not with people. It's in the darkness that fear grows, when you deal with, with this idea of mold, sunlight is a thing that, that kind of breaks it down and begins to kill. It's the same with fear. As we pull back into the darkness, as we're in the dark times of our life, the worst thing we can do is stay there and try to solve it. To pull back and be in the back crevices of the caves of life. It, it, fear continues to build. As we get past one fear, we experience another. Then we experience another. And so I'm here to tell you, if you're experiencing this now, God wants to pull you out of the cave and he wants to show you that in the light that there is actually hope and there is hope and it is real. And so I want to kind of look at a story that that shows this. Uh, it's found in, in the New Testament of the Bible and the New Testament was written. Uh, you find a lot of books that talk about Jesus life. Those are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And it's accounts of Jesus' life. And then you have different parts of the New Testament that are about the early church and how they got started. Once Jesus ascended into heaven and he said, you know, I want you to live for me. 
I want you to live in the way that I've showed you. And he left. Then you have this group of people that are Christ followers like, all right, let's do it. How do we do it? And the New Testament is a lot of the how to. Jesus has left. He's in back with God in heaven. Go continue the work he started. And it's like, yes, how do we do it? Well, let's write some thoughts. And and God just gave wisdom. And he spoke through the writers of the New Testament to kind of say, this is how life works. This is how relationship works. This is how you do life God's way. And so the Bible, specifically the New Testament, you find is a lot of just instruction, how to. It's very helpful. So I want to talk from the book of Philippians. And the writer is Paul. And you may have heard of Paul. Uh, We talk about him a lot because he wrote about two thirds of the New Testament. So most of the time you talk about the New Testament, you're going to be talking about Paul and his kind of work and what he was doing. And so Paul was starting churches. This is what his life was about. He wanted to start churches and help people come to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, in the book of Philippians, he's giving some instructions uh, to this church on how to handle life, specifically the pressures of being a Christian in a time where you weren't Christian. You know, you, you may have been killed. You may be mocked. People don't understand you. And so he's giving these, this sound advice to a group of people that, that knew what fear was like. But here's the most interesting perspective of the book of Philippians. Paul, the writer, is writing from prison. Talk about like exhibit A. You're writing this, hey, don't be fearful. Hold on a second. I got to put my pen down. I got to move this shackle that's off my ankle. And some people were saying that. He was actually 24 hours a day chained to a Roman guard. So not only are you in jail, but you are chained to somebody else. You know, like just embarrassing, humiliating, no privacy. You had never have a moment alone. And he's writing this perspective about Don't be anxious in the midst of being shackled in prison. That's important to know because that really shapes his perspective. Knowing that, that's the context for which he's writing. And so he really has committed that no matter what I'm facing, and you find this in the beginning of the book of Philippians, he's encouraging the church to rejoice. These new Christians, rejoice. He says, again, I say, rejoice. Do you imagine how like, That doesn't even make sense. He's in jail. As you know, my approach to fear, it would be cry. Again, I say cry because I'm jailed to somebody right now. See, Paul walked with God a long time and he knew God was with him. So he's encouraging us. You rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. It's almost like they're like, wait a second. Are you telling us to rejoice as you're in prison? That makes no sense. So he says it again. And he talks about kind of his life and he has a statement in Philippians 1:20, which kind of paints this picture of hoping in a God that helps you. And it says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In the midst of this, he clings to courage. He wants to be full of courage and he wants to honor God with his life. And I love how he wants to do it. 
He wants to honor him by life or by death. If you've never read the Bible, you can get a lot of great ideas from the movies, but you can't get perspective like this a lot of times from Hollywood. This is real life encounters with a God who gives you perspective that doesn't even make sense. I want to cling to courage. I want to honor God, whether that's honoring him in the way I live as I'm in jail, or I want to honor him even as my last breath is taken. That's how he was facing fear. So think about the the fears he was having. Uh, He was never going to see his friends again. That's a fear. Could you imagine? Uh, Embarrassment. Failure. Like he's in jail and he's, he's been helping all these different churches and he started these churches. And could you imagine he's completely cut off And in those moments thinking like, what if, what if they just decided Paul's in jail, you know, guys, this has been fun, but this is not worth it. And they just packed up and all went home. Imagine this was probably going through his head and then death, but he decided to face it. Okay. So for the rest of the, the moment, I want to kind of jump, a, jump ahead to later in this letter. And it's in chapter four. You'll see it on the screen. Philippians four says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, where is he? Jail. Does this even make sense? I mean, honestly, this is like one of the best prison letters ever. He's saying if there's anything excellent, there's anything true, if there's anything noble. I mean, you see, he's 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 just half naked cockroaches, doesn't have food. He's chained to somebody else. And he's basically saying, focus on the right, focus on the good, focus on the pure. It's like I don't even have a category for that. And he goes on. And so think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So right now, as he is giving them perspective, there's things he's saying and there's things that they're understanding because of his situation. He's saying, learn from me. You imagine this letter as it gets them and they they are just distraught over their friend, their leader, this person who has just, just gone ahead blazing a trail for what it means to be a Christian in the world. And he's in prison and he's suffering. And he's saying, follow my example. Could you imagine just the the light that it shone on the fears that they were facing? It's the same true for us. I pray that we won't experience this, but it kind of puts our own fears in a perspective, doesn't it? So I want to break down each of these as what what are some things that we can pull out of this as we face our fears, big or small? 
Because no matter the category of them, if we pull back into the darkness, it grows no matter what it is. And it can overtake you. So the first one is face the worst, but don't dwell there. Depending on your personality, your temperament, if you're like a half glass full or half a glass empty, this might be a battle. If you're like an optimist, some fears may come and you actually may be, that's not, that's no big deal. It actually could be a big deal that you need to figure out what's going on. If you're like a half glass full person, whether you're a pessimist or a realist, however you like to say it, this idea of facing the worst is you face the worst, but you stay there. The earth is going to end. My life is over. So both responses uh, are key. You need to face the worst, but, but you can't dwell there. And this is the idea. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That's the reason we don't have to dwell. The Lord is at hand. He is with us in the moment. Sometimes we, we don't want to face the worst because we think if we actually think the worst, it's going to happen. You ever do that to yourself? This idea of like, if I never allow it to enter my mind, then maybe it doesn't happen. You ever realize that you, we don't have that much power? It doesn't work. Life doesn't work like that. Like if you think it, it happens. No, you could not think it and it could happen and you could think it and it may not happen. Okay. We don't have as much power to control it, but we have to recognize that, that it could happen. And so you don't want to be blindsided or derailed. So as you're facing what's going on and there's a bunch of different scenarios that could happen, you take a step back and you think, what would be the worst? You prepare yourself, you prepare your mind. What could be the worst? It doesn't mean it will. doesn't mean that it might. It means that you don't know. But if you face the worst, you, in a way, you, you've acknowledged before God, this could happen. What will I do? So as my daughter was in my arms, the reason that I was blubbering, I'm an emotional guy, first off. But second, the worst I was facing, which was like, what if this is the last time that I hold her? I have to face that. Because before God, I needed to know that this wasn't a deal breaker. I had to acknowledge before him that God, that this may be the last time I hold her. But I, I, I still will trust you. I still will follow you. Because at that moment, I had to decide. That's what this means. You face the worst and then you kind of orient yourself about what if that does happen? What will you do? Okay, so it's very important. Uh, The second thing is once we face the worst, we we need to call out to God for help. This is what happens on the Philippians four. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's why I could talk about Paul and it doesn't make sense that he has that perspective is because he has peace. And what about it? It surpasses our understanding. It doesn't make sense. There is no other peace that is uncomprehendable like the peace of God. You can find peace in many different ways through vacation, through drugs, through relationships, but it does not surpass understanding. There's a limit a finite degree of how it helps but the peace of god it cannot be contained 
It cannot be boxed up, cannot be reproduced, it cannot be sold. It's the peace from God that can't be fabricated any other way. And so when you call out to God for help, you are acknowledging, God, I am so scared of what's happening. I don't know. The worst could this this person could die. I have no idea what I will do, but I ask for your help. Thank you for listening to me. This is where you Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for all that you've done so far in my life. I just turn to you. I ask for help. It becomes this dire request. So what happens is Paul saying is you need to rejoice in the Lord. And then you, you take the rejoicing and you move it to requesting. God, I rejoice in you. I thank you that you are my God who knows everything I'm facing. You know, even the details that I don't know. You know the outcome, which I do not know because I'm this side of the fear. So you take the rejoicing and you move it to requesting. And then as you do that, you actually move into the presence of God. Will Smith in the movie, the James Smith, said that you need to be completely in the present as you face fear, it's like be completely in the present to allow all your senses to, to kind of tell your insides of what you should do. Be completely in the present. What Paul is saying is you rejoice. You recognize God is there. You rejoice. You request. You call out to him. You acknowledge your need. You acknowledge your shortcoming, all the things that you're thinking. And then what Paul's saying is, is you actually enter into the presence of God. Let your fears leads you into God's presence. So Will Smith is saying, be completely present in the moment. What God's saying is, be completely rooted in my presence. That's a big difference. Because being completely rooted in the present, if you're overcome by fear, how do you crawl out of the hole that you're in? What God is saying is, come to me, be in my presence, and I will pull you out. You'll have this peace that will help you. Again, if, if you've walked with God for a little bit or a long time, you probably have experienced part of this, part of this peace in the midst of fear. If you haven't, and you're checking out what it means to follow Christ, again, this is one of the ways that you, you will have to take a risk. And decide, am I going to still kind of rely on my way or is there something in God's way that I'm going to just decide I'm going to turn? Maybe my way doesn't work. You have to be willing to take the risk to be true to yourself, to just ask that question. Okay, and then the, the third thing is direct your thoughts to the truth. See, here's what's great. Even if you rejoice God, you're, you're with me. And even if you request, and I need your help, you're with me, I need your help. As my daughter, it was like, God, thank you for being here. Then it turned into, God, save her life. Then I was still battling the thoughts within me. Like, what if, what if she dies? Like, what if she dies? What's that going to do to my marriage? What if I can't have any other kids? And all this stuff was coming. I had requested... And I had rejoiced, 
but I was still plagued with my own thoughts because it's so easy. You slip in and out of just, just the battle within yourself. It's so easy to, to focus on what's not true. This is why he says in verse eight, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The only way to think about these things is if you direct your thoughts to God. There's no other way because within us, the fears are magnified and our own just understanding of what could happen in our limited resources, our limited just connections of all the possible scenarios. They come into play and we're confused. So as we direct our thoughts, we actually get a different perspective. That's part of what the peace of God does. It's not only counterintuitive, we can't fully comprehend it, but it actually shows us things that within ourselves we can't see. And that's seeing things from God's perspective. That's what the Bible does. And so I want to encourage you. We're all in different places with fears. And we all will face them as we leave here. Some will come. They may come this week. They may come 10 years from now. But I want to encourage you. What we're talking about today is really about entering into a relationship with the living God. It's not like a strategy, like three steps to peace, three steps to overcoming your fear. It's really you take a step towards God. You take the risk because you're not exactly sure if he is who he says he is. But as you do that. God comes through. And so I want to encourage you, take just the time to, to, as you looked at your strategies, and I have some next steps that I want to walk through, but as you think through your own strategies, think through how can I turn to God in the first kind of part of this process to kind of get out of the cave, to get out of the freak out mode, to get out of the strategies I have. How can I turn to God? And so I want to encourage you, pull out that connection card that Ben had you fill out. And I want to walk through uh, just the two next steps that you can take today. Uh, the first is you can memorize Isaiah 41:10. That's a great promise. Uh, you'll see that there on your uh, listening outline. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The second is choose one response above to focus on when fear comes. So we talked about uh, requesting, rejoicing, uh, calling out to God, directing your thoughts. Choose one of those. We've looked at how to do it. Choose one of those to take this week or the next time if fear comes. Uh, you've also got a bunch of other next steps which are related to a life group. I appreciate those life group leaders. This is a great way to kind of come out of the shadows and to actually do life with people. And so what you do, if, you, if there's a group you're interested in, you actually write the group number on the connection card and the leader will be in touch with you so you know how to get connected to that group when it starts. And there's some other meetups. Uh, we want to, to hang out with you here at Church in the Valley, get to know you. Uh, we do want to be a community that doesn't just come and see each other on a Sunday, but actually does life together. And so I encourage you, sign up for those things. Take a risk to actually get to know some people as well. Let's pray together before we continue in our singing. Uh, we'll also be receiving our offering as I'm done with the prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you that you actually have taken 
the idea of fear and said in the midst of it to turn to you. Uh, We don't have to do anything else except turn. And that is actually the most hopeful thing is we don't have to be good enough, smart enough, savvy enough. You actually begin with us turning to you. And so, God, I pray no matter where we are this morning, that we will decide to take a risk to trust in you in the things in our heart that freak us out, the fears that we have that we don't want to think about, we don't want to talk about. God, I pray that we will be drawn to trust in you, the living God who loves us, who wants to uphold us and strengthen us with your righteous right hand. In the name of Lord Jesus. Amen.